Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how Moses knew that he was God's appointed deliverer, but how his first attempt to deliver the Jewish people didn't go so well. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Hello, I'd like to welcome you again as we continue in our study in the book of Exodus. Let's look to God in prayer. Father, we come to you because we realize that we are in great need of having our eyes opened and having an understanding to be able to see the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Exodus. Help us to do this today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, please follow along in your Bibles as I begin reading in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And then when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Now, In our last study, as we were looking at this passage here, we saw Moses went out this second day in Egypt, and he came across two Hebrews who were fighting with each other. They were striving and fighting, and one was wrong, and one was in the right. But this was so surprising to Moses, because he had already seen how the Hebrews were in this terrible oppression from the Egyptians. I mean, their sufferings alone should have united them, should have drawn them together into an echadness together. But the verse in Acts 7.25 summed up what happened when Moses attempted to deliver these two Jewish people. By first he killed the Egyptian and then he tried to deliver this Jewish person who was being oppressed by the other Jewish person. But in, when it came to the part of the first day when Moses went out and killed the Egyptian seeking to deliver In this first step, the Jewish people from the Egyptians, Acts 7.25 says it like this. For he, that's speaking of Moses, he supposed his brethren, that's the Jewish people, would have understood how that God, by his hand, would deliver them. But they understood not. Moses knew that he was God's appointed deliverer of the Jewish people. He knew that. And and since he knew that he was God's appointed deliverer, he thought in his mind that they would understand, that they would also know that he was God's appointed deliverer. He supposed, was the word that was used in Acts 7, he supposed that his own Jewish people would have understood that he was God's appointed deliverer. But 
his own Jewish people did not understand. Sound familiar? Sound familiar with the Lord Jesus Christ? We see how Moses was like the Lord Jesus Christ in this situation. Who, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, when he came to his own Jewish people, he found, the Lord Jesus Christ found, what it says in John 1.11. He, this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he came unto his own, that's the Jewish people, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him, very much like what happened to Moses. So what was said about Moses could have been said about the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ knew that he was God's appointed deliverer. He was God's Messiah. He was the Mashiach of Israel to deliver the Jewish people. And like Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ thought that his own people also knew that he was God's appointed deliverer. And so like Moses, the Lord Jesus supposed that his own Jewish people would have understood that he was indeed God's appointed deliverer. Moses was really just one in a long line whom God sent to the Jewish people, which finally included his son, God the Son, who was sent by God the Father to the Jewish people. And Moses and all of them in this line, including the Lord Jesus the Messiah, found the very same thing that the Lord Jesus described in Luke 13, 34, when he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. See, with those words that were spoken to Moses, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? With the word who, they rejected the authority of Moses, just as the Jewish people rejected the authority of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 21, 23, when it says, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? With those words to Moses, who made thee a judge and a prince and a judge over us, they rejected the authority and the rulership that Moses had over them. And with those words, that's why those words were very important when that man said that to Moses, who made thee a prince and a judge over us, over us, expressed how the Jewish people did not want Moses to be over them. And the Lord Jesus Christ described in a parable how he was received or not received. And in that parable, he describes, the Lord Jesus describes a king that was far away from his kingdom. And he said that his servants sent a message back to him. In Luke 19, 14, he reads like this. This is what the Lord Jesus said. But his citizens hated him, and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. The very short description of the Lord Jesus Christ that applies also to Moses and how they were both received, 
by their own Jewish people is really summed up best in John 1.11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. In other words, it was the push away. That statement, that verse is the pushback. It's the push away statement of those words. And that just superimposes right on Exodus 2.14. Who made thee a prince and a ruler and a judge over us? And it became true of Moses that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And it became true of the Lord Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 15, we found that Moses sat down by a well. And as we look again at Moses sitting down there by that well in the land of Midian, Moses had just run for his life. That's what he's doing. He'd run for his life. He was exhausted. He was emotionally drained. All the drama of it all. And he's sitting down there by that well in the land of Midian, and he finds himself in a strange place as he sat down there. And so in verse 15, he's sitting down by the well. He's a man in exile. He's just like Jacob. When Jacob fled from his brother Esau, who had vowed to murder him, Moses had fled from Pharaoh, who had vowed to murder him. And like Moses, Jacob also came to a well in a foreign land. And when Jacob was at that well, God encouraged Jacob by bringing Rachel to that well, the woman that eventually Jacob ended up marrying. Just like Rebekah, Isaac's wife was identified also at a well by Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, when he was on his mission, having been sent by Abraham, to go find a wife for Isaac. Now Moses, at this well, he sees seven women. And they're working hard. It says that in Exodus 2.16. It identifies them. It says the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And so what happens? In verse 17, the shepherds came. They drove the women away. Moses stood up. He helped them. He watered their flock. So when Moses saw these shepherds come and drive the seven daughters of the priest of Midian away, something again triggered inside of Moses. That was not right for them to be driven away. And this triggered in Moses. This was not just for them to be driven away. Moses stands up and he defends these daughters and it says he helps them and he waters their flock. Now why did he do that? Why did Moses come to the help of these women? Why did this injustice trigger something in Moses to make him have to be impelled to help these daughters? Why? Because Moses had a gift, a gift from God. He loved doing justice. Moses loved defending the injured party. He felt compelled to. On that first day back in Egypt, when he went out in verse 11 and saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew, Moses' sense of justice triggered inside of him when he saw that, and Moses confronted and killed the oppressor, the Egyptian, and he rescued the Hebrew that was being beaten. On the second day, when Moses went out, in verse 13, again, it's he saw one of the Hebrews doing wrong to another Hebrew, and again, that sense of justice triggered inside of Moses. And what does Moses do? He confronts the Hebrew doing wrong by questioning him, why was he doing that? 
And you see here in the words of verse 17, the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flocks. So now again, Moses' sense of justice triggers inside of him, and he stands up and he confronts the shepherds and he helps these daughters, the priest of Midian, and waters their flock. So here Moses is like Jacob, who also helped Rachel by, at that time, uh, Jacob rolled the stone away from from the well's mouth so that he could water the flock that uh, Rachel had. But what we're talking about here is the gift that Moses had from God. He just could not help himself but to see the underdog to feel the pain of the underdog, to stand up for the underdog, to confront the oppressor and help the underdog. That was Moses. That's what he had inside of him. And that's the passion that will also drive Moses to want to return to Egypt to free the underdog, which in this case was his own people, enslaved Israelites. Now, From verse 18, we see that this man, the priest of Midian, had seven daughters, and they just left Moses at the well after he did that. See, in verse 18, when they came to Reuel, their father, he said, how is it that you come so soon today? That must have been a, 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 and then he asked them, why did you leave him at the well? It must have been a very lonely time for Moses. Can you imagine? I mean, he did this for the first Hebrew in the first way, and what thanks did he get? He gets reported, perhaps, to everybody that, uh, that, that he has killed an Egyptian. He does this for the, for the other Hebrews fighting together. And what thanks does he get? He gets, a, he gets it right in his teeth. Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? He does this now for the daughters. And what thanks did he get? I don't know if they got any thanks at all. They just left him there. So much so that the father was surprised. So it must have been a really lonely time, a really hard time for Moses. I mean... And, you know, when he was back in Egypt, that cost him something. It cost him his uh, Egyptian, uh, you might say his citizenship. I mean, he made enemies from the Egyptians. It cost him something here in his new place in the land of Midian. He had just made enemies of the shepherds. And those that he'd help, well, they're just off. So that seemed to be for Moses just a repeat of what had happened back in Egypt These shepherds were like the Egyptians. They were now his enemies. The daughters were like the Hebrews with the who made thee a judge and a ruler over us. Very, very hard time for Moses. We can feel his loneliness. We can feel his sense that he's being isolated there. And he sits down isolated. We can imagine Moses wondering, what is ever going to happen to me? But Moses did not know He did not know how God was already taking care of him because when those daughters came back so soon in verse 18, their father begins to ask questions that will turn to benefit Moses and bring him home. So from their reply, it's interesting in verse 19, when the daughters reply to their father, they call Moses an Egyptian delivered us up out of the hands of the Hebrews and drew water for us. Now, then God worked in the heart of the Father, in verse 20, and he said unto them, Where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he made bread. So from verse 20, we can see how, again, it's emphasized that Moses was just left there at the well when he said, How is it that you have left the man? And when their father told them to return and called them, they must have found Moses 
just where they left him at that well. Probably didn't know where to go, what to do. And so in verse 21 is really the beginning of a turning point for Moses. It's really a turning point for Moses. When it says in verse 21, Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. So now Moses finally finds a home where he's welcomed, and he can now relax. It says he's content in the home of this priest of Midian. Those words, Moses was content to dwell with the man. Those are very, very important words because they tell us that finally Moses has emerged from this life of internal conflict and turmoil. You know, before this, when Moses was living in the Pharaoh's palace, we know, as we've studied from Hebrews 11, 24 through 25, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So what we know from those verses about Moses' life is that there were two factors in Moses' life in the palace that just irritated Moses. They got under his skin. They took away his peace. They left him disturbed and tormented, so much so that he was constantly in no peace. And he was disturbed in the palace because first, it was where Moses was. With a title that took all his peace away, whenever Moses was introduced to someone, Moses was introduced, and here is Moses, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Whenever Moses was referred to, he was referred to as Moses, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he just couldn't stand it any longer. He couldn't take it any longer. He was not in his mind, an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. He wanted to be a Hebrew. He did not want to be referred to as an adopted Egyptian, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't want it anymore. So when it says in verse 21 that Moses was content to dwell with the man, it means that in this man's house, Moses would never be referred to as the daughters referred to him, and that must have irritated him. In verse 19, as an Egyptian, it means that in this man's house, Moses would never be referred to as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And from this great relief to no longer being called an Egyptian, or worse, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses was now free. And Moses found contentment. And second, it was where Moses was not. He was not with the Hebrews. He was not with the people of God when he was in the palace. And Moses was not even even now. He was not yet with the people of God. But at least now, Moses has found a little hiding place. Moses has found a little sanctuary. Moses has found a little home in a strange land, and he will stay in this man's home for 40 years. And this will become a very valuable time in Moses' life. Egypt was a noisy place. Egypt with the business of the palace and Moses was occupied with his military education and all the duties that he had being heir to become the next Pharaoh as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
But now, it's all changed now. It's all different. And here in Midian, it's quiet for Moses, especially as he goes on to the backside of the desert to feed these sheep. And Moses will learn here how to talk to God. He will learn in this state of quietness how to hear God. And so, we see in verse 21 to 22 that the man, it says, he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter, and she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I've been a stranger in a strange land. So Moses gets a wife, Zipporah, and Moses gets a son. And we might think that now that Moses has gotten a wife, and now he'll be happy, and now he'll, he'll find peace. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I still remember when, when the um, sister of Barbara Streisand was interviewed, she said, oh, I hope that Barbara at last will find happiness and peace. It kind of reminds me a little bit now, because you think, well, Moses has a wife now, he's got a son, so maybe at last now he'll find happiness and peace. And the, the wife gives him a son, and we might think that now that Moses has a son, he's going to be happy, he's going to find peace. But something occurs, and it's, it's in this name that Moses gives to his son that really reveals the heart of Moses. Verse 22, And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. So we find here that Moses, he didn't go to a book of baby names to find a cute-sounding name for his son. Moses gave a lot of thought to the name that he chooses for his son. This wasn't an off-the-cuff type name. And Moses chooses a very special name for his son with, for a very pressing reason that caused him to choose that name for the son. And the name that Moses chooses for his son is, as we see, the name Gershom. Moses chooses his name Gershom for his son because this name, express the deep feeling in Moses' heart. The name Gershon is what Moses wants to say about himself. Gershom is like a confession of Moses' heart. So to understand what Moses is communicating and understand how Moses is feeling, we need to know exactly what does the name Gershom mean. Now, the name Gershom means foreigner or refugee, but Gershom is a very graphic word because the Hebrew root for the word Gershom comes from the root word garash. And garash means in Hebrew to drive out or to expel or to thrust out or to divorce. In fact, it is translated as divorced in the Bible. So the root of the word Gershom means to be driven or thrust out as when an angry husband who wants to divorce his wife drives or thrusts her out of his home. And that wife can say when she's been thrust out and thrown out of the house, she can say, Gershom, I've been driven or thrust out of my home. That's the root word behind Gershom. That's the root meaning of the word Gershom. And this is the meaning that Moses wants to express in the naming of his son when he names him Gershom. So, we can ask the question, why would Moses choose a name like this? It's such a a strong name. It's such a rough name for a son as Gershom. 
And so Moses goes on to elaborate and to explain to us why what he meant by naming his son Gershom. And Moses' explanation for why he has chosen this very strong name for a son Gershom is found in verse 22 when he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Thank you for joining us today. Now we get many inquiries that ask, why is the Friendship with God radio program so unique or so distinct from other radio programs? Well, Tom Cantor uses the New Testament as a commentary on the Old Testament. By seeing the oneness of the Old Testament with the New Testament, Tom brings to life the grace of God from the Old Testament by showing how God deals with the universal lostness of man and the everlasting covenant of love he has for the Jewish people. Now, many of you have been listening to the Friendship with God radio program for a while, and you've been enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching from the Word of God, and maybe you want to know more about Tom Cantor. Well, he's an amazing man of faith, not just a successful Jewish businessman, but he's also a Jewish Christian and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tom Cantor is the CEO and president of Scanabodies Laboratory Incorporated. It's one of the largest privately held biotech companies in the world, and it's represented on five continents with over 700 employees. And Tom Cantor is the 2009 Whistleblower of the Year, but that's not one of the most important things to Tom Cantor. He likes to put God's business first, and that's why he uses his business as missions to be able to put the Friendship with God radio program on the air. And that's why Tom Cantor makes all of his resources available free online at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. And again, lots of free resources online from Tom Cantor, including his own life story and testimony in DVD and in a booklet form that you can download or watch for free. But millions of copies have been given out around the world, all free, to lost Jewish people. And if you'd like to reach a lost Jewish friend that you know of with the gospel or an acquaintance or someone you know, call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org and fill out our online form to send a gift free from Tom Cantor to your lost Jewish friend, Show them God's love today. Call us 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.